It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to, to another, another episode, episode of Pit Lane Parlay. And welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. This is Matt Hickey with host Mike. How's it going? Just lovely. The Eagles didn't play today, so it makes me happier when my Sundays aren't so miserable. Yeah. Uh, just had the night off. Uh, PTO or something. She yeah. gets a lot more PTO acceptances than I do. Kind of better. Yeah, well, you can take that up with HR, which I think is also Jess, so you might be out of luck on that one. Well, whatever. All right. Um, honestly, there's not too much to talk about tonight as far as news. Uh, James Davison apparently has a deal with uh, Rick Ware Racing for the Indy 500. Um, he finished we'll... 21st in the NASCAR race today, which is pretty good for a Rick Ware car. So, Yeah. Um, William Story listened to our last podcast on uh, the F1 side about rich energy. Um, and by the time you're listening to this, we may have already done an interview with him. Maybe, maybe not. And if you know the rest of that quote, then congrats on seeing the departed. Um, Hinchcliffe, anything else? Caps, Capstone sponsorship for the other nine Genesis races. I couldn't remember what his, what his name was. And I guess. Real quick, before we dive into the heart of what we're talking about, we should say our thoughts and well wishes for Bob Jenkins, who is battling brain cancer. It's really sad to see and, and came out of nowhere. And hopefully he's okay, is able to recover quickly. I know he's about to go through chemo and everything like that. So our thoughts are with him. Definitely love hearing his voice at the track every May, and hopefully he'll be able to be there a little bit this year. Yes, uh, we wish him the best. Uh, legendary voice for sure within the racing community. Uh, apparently, IndyCar is doing another virtual iRacing season. <sighs> cannot, cannot be, be excited about that, to be honest. Nope. Uh, Don't care. Sato's, yeah, Sato's got uh, the same sponsor again for the Indy 500 with a new look. Um, Fittipaldi's the Haas reserve driver, so nothing in IndyCar yet. Um, looks like that's kind of it. <clears throat> Props to F1, me. maybe to Indianapolis, which is kind of somewhat IndyCar related. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. That's the that's all. That's the only news we got to work with this week. So we are gonna discuss kind of two items here. One is kind of an inverse of the other. So the first item is IndyCar.com, and Kurt Cavan released an article this week 
talking about five drivers who shifted from F1 to IndyCar and were successful in their endeavors. Uh, the five that he listed specifically in the article, and this is kind of on the back of you know Raymond Grosjean coming over and you know seeing if he, if he can add his name to this list. So the five on there are Emerson Fittipaldi, Nigel Mansell, Alex Sinardi, Takuma Sato, and Eddie Cheever. And my initial reaction to this was it's a good list. Everybody on there has either won an Indy 500 or won a championship. Uh, in the case of Fittipaldi, he did both. So definitely some you know glittering accolades for all five of them. Uh, Stefan Wilson on Twitter replied to the article stating that, you know, obviously he was hoping that Justin Wilson would be on there. And that kind of started a discussion of sorts. And not only is there Justin Wilson, there's plenty of others who have gone to Formula One and then come over to IndyCar and have found success that weren't on that list. Uh, Kind of active right now, Alexander Rossi kind of floats to the top of that discussion as well. I know he's only in year coming up on year five or 2016. So this would be year six now. Man, is um, it, yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, obviously there's others that could definitely be on this list. So kind of first, your thoughts on the five that were selected. And second, if you have any comments on what Stefan had to say. So I don't have a problem with the, the list itself. I think all five, like you mentioned, 500 winners or championship winners or both. I did wish they had mentioned, even if it was like an honorable mention for Justin Wilson, because I get kind of what I think some people and you might have been one of them were saying on Twitter, like he didn't win a championship or a 500, but he was such a big part of the sport for so many years that I would have liked to see him mentioned and, and, Along those same lines, you could have, hey, Alex Rossi won a 500. I know some of the other F1 converts haven't done so well, like Max Chilton, but Max did lead 40 laps at the Indy 500 five years ago. (laughs) So, (laughs) and Pietro Fittipaldi did some IndyCar races and might do some more this year. Who knows? But yeah, that would be my only thing is I, I just wish, I know this is all about the past but there's so so many guys who are a little bit more current like Rossi I think Rossi could have easily been on this list I don't know who I would necessarily put him over per se but yeah something something to talk about a little bit more what's currently going on in in IndyCar than just what happened because this article's cool but it's not going to do anything to drive people to watch more IndyCar more F1 unless they're already watching it yeah, I think the list is uh, the only one I would go, hmm, I don't know about that one, would be Cheever. Uh, yes, he did win the Indy 500. Yeah. Um, for the longest time, he was the only American in the Formula One world. So, you know, he was trying to carry the country on his back over there and then came over to IndyCar. Um, you know, mixed results until he really kind of got to IRL. And then once he got to IRL where it was a little bit weaker, he did really well, did a good job of, you know, starting his own team and whatnot before it eventually had to shut their doors. But yes, I would replace Cheever with Rossi for sure. And I think as Rossi's resume continues to grow, it's going to just strengthen his case. 
And then as far as the Justin Wilson one, yeah, I think an honorable mention may have been warranted, but I would not have included him within my top five. Uh, I think his biggest strength for sure was definitely outpacing the poor equipment that he had access to. But as far as just like the black and white view of it with the accolades, he just, you know, didn't have the Indy 500, didn't have a championship. Um, only had a couple really strong championship efforts. And I guess for including champ car, you know, he was Bourdais biggest rival for the longest time. So it, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag cause I see where Stefan's coming from, but at the end of the day, I think not too many faults with that specific list. And I don't know. What is your take on guys like Joseph Newgarden or willpower or even Charlie Kimball, where they, they try to get through that European ladder to formula one. It doesn't work. And then they come over to either the road to or Indy car. Do we count them as, you know, quote unquote F1 rejects? No, I think if you're going to be an F1 reject or an F1 convert, you should at least have a test or reserve driver role or done a test session or something like that. New garden tried. I don't honestly, without looking power did. Yeah. Power did, but I still wouldn't call him an F1 reject. Like Graham Ray hall had an F1 test, but it was more for show than. Yeah. That one was a show. So I don't think there's like a, I guess kind of more the more I think about it, there's not really a concrete line that you can say is or isn't a reject. Like New Garden, not I, I wouldn't consider so much because I don't think he made it even to F three. Like, I think, I think he, he was GP three. Okay, so he was GP three. Was that old F three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not not really. Yeah, I got. I'll, I think I differ with you on that one a little bit, and I think some of those who are like clearly on the intent to get to formula one. I, I mean, I wouldn't say they were like an F1 reject, like Max Chilton or Marcus Erickson, but you know, I definitely still think their ambitions were clear with the paths they were taking. And then, you know, when it doesn't work, they just come to IndyCar. And, um, because of that, we're talking Joseph Newgarden, Will Power. Um, I guess I unfortunately don't know off the top of my head in front of me as far as like, you know, Simon Padre Scott Dixon, if that was them. Um, who else? Uh, Kimball, like I said, Chilton. Connor Daly is kind of a inverse one. You know, went road to Indy to the European ladder, back to IndyCar. And then even in between, he did some F2 too. Um, he's kind of everywhere for a couple of years. Yeah, that's more of a f1 reject sorry connor then like you could make a definite case for that dixon i think was hurt by the fact from what i remember his test session with williams was pretty bad which is really crazy to think about that scott dixon did something poorly yeah and then daly had the force india test because he won the pro mazda championship or something along those lines um yeah, Ryan Briscoe tested F1. He was in Toyota's Young Driver program. Bourdais came from, I think, Formula 3000 to Champ Car. And Formula 3000 used to be like the GP2 before GP2. Would you count 
Bourdais as an F1 reject or an IndyCar guy that went to F1 because, like you said, he did you know Formula 3000 or whatever it was, then came over here, then went over there, and like wasn't bad in F1. Obviously, wasn't that great, but where where would you put him on our hypothetical category list here? I think I would be the one, the next topic, the one we get to next. Okay. I don't, I don't think he would be an F1 reject. Yeah. Um, I get what the logic is there, but you know, he was a four-time IndyCar champion when he went to Formula One, and yeah, I mean, I just watched those seasons that he was in, and it's a bit of a like him getting fired was a bit of a head scratcher. Like, no, he didn't have the glamorous results, and. You know, he wasn't the best driver out there, but he was definitely better than his rookie teammate, Sebastian Boemi, uh, up to the point where he got fired. Yep. And um, obviously, Borde uh, can wear his heart on his sleeve. And I think sometimes he can be quite emotional. And I, I bet money that behind the scenes, maybe things were a little um, terse with his uh leadership team that he had to report to so i can imagine maybe that's one of the reasons they kind of just wanted to dump him they also had jaime Algasuari, uh who was kind of waiting in the wings to step up and i think they may want to give a young driver a chance to um get have a shot so but ultimately like the the big one that stood out to me with Bordet, the the two big ones is his first race in australia in 08 he was doing great. He had a great race going. There was a couple accidents throughout the race, so he inherited some positions based off that. But with like, I think it was like four laps to go, the guy's running like sixth or something, which would have been a great result. And I think he had a engine failure. I was just like, ah, oh, man, that really sucks. That was his first race. Looking great. And then the second one, obviously, was Sebastian Vettel leading every single lap at Monza or all the two laps at Monza. And winning a historic race for himself and Toro Rosso. And, you know, one of the things that was lost in that was that Bourdais started third that race and his car basically died on the grid. And so by the time they got it figured out, he was like a lap or two behind and he was running the same lap times as Vettel that whole race. But obviously since he started two laps down, he finished like the 15th or something. And I just like, ah, man, like imagine if that like had gone his way and he finished on the podium. Even I don't want to keep, yeah, and I don't want to keep ranting. Spa, he last lap, he's running third. Uh, the team doesn't call him in for wet tires. And a guy like Alonzo, who started the lap like 23 seconds behind him, ends up passing him with 100 feet left to take third. It's like, ah, uh, I just think Bourdais kind of got a rough shot at that. Sorry, that's kind of a long-winded answer. But I think Bourdais' shot in Formula 1 isn't as bad as people like make it out to be. And I think, genuinely think, he got kind of red bulled pretty bad because red bull has the way of steamrolling some people no and i think yeah and i think he was one of them for sure which is quite unfortunate you know who hopes they steamroll red bull this year our pal william story yeah. anyway hey, i i do appreciate the fact that he took the time to listen to our last episode though even it was even if you know we weren't the most positive of reviewers i I'm very curious to see how this week will go if if he dials in, but we will save that for another day. Real quick, there are some guys who did do the opposite, the IndyCar to F1 switch, but I wanted to just 
gloss over a couple of names of guys who tested, but obviously never got in a race. You know, Townsend Bell tested for Jaguar in 2003. That one. Everybody tested for Jaguar. Yeah, it was unreal. Let's see here. Who else? Mike Conway tested for Braun. I think that would have been really cool to see Mike Conway get an F1 shot because he was such a good road course racer and still yeah. in, in WEC. Dario, <laughs> Jaguar. Yeah. J.R. Hildebrand. That one I don't remember at all. Force India. Force India. TK tested for Honda in 2005. Let's see here. Willpower, like you mentioned. I'm trying to let's scroll through this list. Another Marco, Jaguar, Schechter. Marco, Honda. Marco, yeah, I'm, I'm, even, I'm not even worried about that one. <laughs> anyway, um, let's go through the heart of this list here. We don't need to take a ton of time, but I found some interesting names here. And shout out to uh, our pal, Frenchie Michael Goodier slash Goodier, who helped me find a couple of these names. Fabrizio Barbaza. You I helped? Like, check that one to make sure I was pronouncing it right. Uh-huh. Indy 500 Rookie of the Year. Cart Rookie of the Year. And a great year, 1987. He was the Indy Lights champ in 1986. His F1 stats, however, not, not, quite, not quite as good. I think he made it uh, 16th. 16 races, uh, two two total championship points. He had an entire year where he did not qualify, I think, in every race he attempted to. Had two sixth-place finishes in 1993, two years later, and that was it. So he had terrible F1 luck. But I always always thought that was funny to mention his name in the IndyCar to F1 spectrum. F1, and this could be another rant we do someday. Maybe we can talk about it on the F1 side. I To try to keep that short, the thing with F1 that people have to understand is that in IndyCar, I mean, obviously, Team Penske is going to be good and expectations are going to be higher for Team Penske and Chip Ganassi because they have more money and effort to spend on their equipment. But at the end of the day, IndyCar really is more about the driver and the driver can make a lot of impactful decisions to raise their level in the championship and in formula one it is really a team sport and they hire two people to basically not screw up that's their whole job is there there's two people within the organization who get to put in or basically get to take all the efforts of everybody behind the scenes and take it out on the track and not screw up and obviously that's the drivers and so that's kind of you know at the end of the day it's a team sport and you know doesn't matter how good of a driver you are if you get into a car it's trash you know you can only do so much and so for poor fabrizio here ags was terrible they i think they made two races that whole season between both drivers and this is in the day where he had to do pre-qualifying and whatnot because the grid sizes were so big and then his other team was minardi and for those who don't know minardi was terrible for all but maybe one season in their whole existence so I, I give it an incomplete. I don't really know what he could actually accomplish based on just the limited sample size of just nonsense teams they had to run with. If I remember correctly, he was pretty decent. I think he was a road course racer in IndyCar with Patrick. I'd have to look, but I think you're right. So he, if I remember correctly, he was pretty decent in IndyCar. He had a couple decent results and then, you know, went to Formula One because it's quote unquote better. And 
I think a kind of kind of a common theme we're going to see here is that if you're going to do this jump to Formula One, make sure you land in good equipment. Because if you're just going to go with AGS and Minardi, you're just unfortunately going to be wasting your time. So his cart results, he had a podium at Indy in his rookie season in 87, had four other top 10 finishes in three years. Otherwise, not really a shining. Yeah, and I'm not going to try to speculate too much without knowing in front of me here, but I'm guessing yeah. in 87 there's probably a lot of attrition. Let's see. Well, since we're since we're here, finish. We Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how those worked back in the day. It was more about almost about more surviving than it was racing. If if I'm uh, now I'm I'm just looking at this box score on on Wikipedia, so take this with a grain of salt. If I'm understanding this correctly, only Al Unser and Roberto Guerrero finished on the bleed lap. So, podium, our boy Fabrizio finished a lap down in third place. And essentially, everybody starting with Mario Andretti, who finished ninth, didn't finish the race. So, only eight guys finished, it looks like. Oh God, was that the year that Mario led like 160 something laps and didn't? That one hurt. That one hurt to watch when I rewatched that. I was like, oh, the poor guy. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, he led 170 of the first 177 laps and then didn't finish the race with a broken valve spring. Poor guy. Only eight guys finished the race. Good God. Derek Daly was also in that race. Anyways, uh, so Fabricio's podium is gets an asterisk. Um, yeah, big asterisk. Let's see, Danny Sullivan, he's on there. Let's see what his uh, F1 results were. Yeah, he did two kart races before he went over to F1. I don't know. I so you know we're we're going off of old stats here. His Formula One record on f1.fandom.com has 15 starts, no poles, no wins, no podiums, no fastest lap, and two points. Uh, he was with T-Roll in 1983, and it looks like it was just that one year. Yeah, I'm trying to get in here and see who was teammate at T-Roll that year. Oh, Michele Alboreto. <laughs> uh, and just to go deeper... Since I have it in front of me here now. Oh, Alberetta won a race here. Wow. <laughs> dang, dang it, Danny. <laughs> he won at Detroit. So Danny Sullivan had an eighth in the in Long Beach when F1 ran at Long Beach. He had a fifth in Montreal. He also, for reasons that I am not going to dive into now, had a disqualification in Canada that summer. And then... Also had a seventh place in the South African Grand Prix, hmm. which doesn't strike me as particularly memorable at all. Anyway, anything else? Uh, just got one season. I mean, f- without diving too deep into it, it looks like his teammate kind of got the better of him for the most part. So, yeah, I mean... It's also kind of hard because he only did a couple races in any car before moving, so it's not like we had a whole lot to go off on this side, too. And obviously, he came back and was phenomenal. So I think at the end of the day, it worked out in his favor. He definitely made the right choice. 
Michael one, Andretti. Yeah, Michael Andretti. Obviously, probably the most notable on this list because there's so much written about his F1 stuff. I'm I'm going to ask you one question before, and I'm just going to turn it over to you for your thoughts on this because I haven't watched the old 90s season when he was with McLaren and, and probably since it was 1992. He actually originally, if this racer article is uh, correct, actually this article only came out last year. He signed a contract with Ferrari at first and somehow it fell apart and then obviously had the McLaren deal. So it, things kind of fell apart at Ferrari. Shocking, I know. It seems like it's been going on forever there, but... Do you think he would have had? I know the '93 Ferrari. I don't think was all that great, but do you think he would have had any better luck at Ferrari than he did McLaren, or maybe not? Yeah, let me refresh uh, my memory here on Ferrari. No, not not that year. No, uh, I, Ferrari was a bit of a career killer at this point in time. I feel really bad because John Alacy also, if we're speaking of Tyrrell, had a really, really good season with Tyrrell and was looking like, you know, the next, you know, great driver of the the series and then moves to Ferrari and the poor guy was there for, I don't know, six years or something and never won a race. I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think he won a race with Ferrari. Um, his, he did get one win later on though in Montreal, thank, thankfully after years of futility he finally did win a race. Um, but uh, there, Oh, sorry. He did win that Montreal win was with Ferrari. Beg your pardon. Uh, but yeah, so I, if he had gone to Ferrari in 93, I think it would have been the same result, unfortunately. And I think the one positive of going to Ferrari instead of McLaren is that if you went to Ferrari, he wouldn't have been teammates with Aaron Senna. And it's, it's just, it's insane to think that anybody let alone a guy who has not had the time to get up to speed in a Formula One car is going to jump into a seat next to Aaron Senna, the greatest driver in the history of everything, and try to beat him. It's just not going to happen. So for Michael, it was the experience. It was the, all the electronic driver aids on the cars in this era, which went away in 1994. So, well, I mean, they were legally supposed to go away, but we... Benetton, I think, used him in 1994. So, I mean, he has to come over and has to get used to the active suspension, the gearbox, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, it's probably nothing like he had ever raced in his life. He couldn't finish right away. Like, he kept crashing out within the first lap of, I think, three of the first four races or something like that. So even his track time in the race, he couldn't get anything going. There, There's a lot that to this. So... I think it, to keep it short, it, it's in no way, I think, a reflection on him as a driver. I am almost uh, willing to say that I think the real person at fault here is Ron Dennis. I don't know why Ron Dennis hired him, and I don't know why Ron Dennis would fire him after. I don't know if they mutually parted ways or if he got fired um officially the official word after his one and only podium at monza because that year they had mika hacken and waiting in the wings and they loved him they were they were so excited to get him up to mclaren in the the you know the big team other than just the reserved role 
And so why you go out and hire Michael Andretti when you got Mika Hakkinen waiting in the wings and you're super impressed by him because Mika Hakkinen finished the season. I, I, I just kind of don't understand what they were doing that year. So there's a lot about this one. This could be a whole episode really, but I think at the end of the day, yes, if I was Michael, it was, it was probably bad timing to go over to formula one. I'm glad he did it just to say that he could do it, but it's kind of one of those on his legacy. It's the, uh, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Something that people look back on and, and kind of question, which I think is unfair because he is a phenomenal driver. Yeah, kind of two things. Ron Dennis definitely screwed up also. He screwed up the entire, that was right after Honda had left McLaren and then they had to pretty much use hand-me-down Cosworth engines next year that were down on power significantly from whatever other team was running Cosworth that year. That's escaping my memory right now. And then looking at this road and track article, there was actually a rule in F1. I don't know if it was just for 1993 there was a rule instituted that in every practice session, you could only run a maximum of 23 laps, and that was counting the in and out laps. So instead of running, you know, 40, 45 practice laps, 50 laps, however many you get in an hour and a half session or however long they were back then, you do 23 laps and that's it. So definitely doesn't help somebody who's learning all of this new technology in an F1 car, like you mentioned. So. I'll just leave it at that. I didn't really think about that at all until I just read it again. Another one that I find kind of interesting is Cristiano D'Amata. He had cart for the early, the late 90s and early 2000s. Had a couple wins. I don't think he won a championship if I'm... No, nope, 2002. Yeah, thank you. Then went over to... F1 for 2003 and 2004 after his championship and had a few points finishes. Nothing, you know, fantastic, but just like our, our buddy Fred Alonso was talking crap about the Toyota engines and got fired right after the German Grand Prix that year and went back to cart obviously in 2005. So I don't remember the full story about that. He had a good run in cart, then went over to F1, did okay, had four top 10 finishes in 
28 total races, only 13 total points though. And obviously when he came back to IndyCar just wasn't as strong, but you know, he was running for Dale coin racing one of those years. So sorry, Dale, probably not going to be a championship contender in that car. Then he ran for Roo Sport, and I don't even remember that team at all. Roo Sport was the bomb. That's who Wilson ran for for most of those years. I, I should say I don't remember anything about them other than the name Roo Sport. So do you think, and you might have watched these races somewhat more recently than I have, so he gets fired after German Grand Prix in 2004 for reportedly saying how crappy the Toyota engines were. Did he have any future in F1 or was he just kind of middling and was probably destined to leave anyway? Yeah. So we're getting so many like future episodes that we could do after this episode. We yeah. I get all these ideas in my head because doing one about Toyota, I think would be worthwhile. Oh my God. What a cluster. <laughs> it's really hard to say what Toyota was or was not going to do with him. Because what ended up happening is, you know, obviously he got fired. Ricardo Zonta, who was the test driver, took over for most of the races. But um, Yarno truly came in for two of the last or the last two after getting fired from Renault. And then Olivier Panis, who was the driver, sat out the finale at Brazil. Uh, he retired that year. And so if memory serves me correct, 03. Couldn't really split a whole lot between Panis and Damata. They're kind of, as far as just strength on track, they were about equal. 04, I'd give the edge to Damata. But unfortunately, once he got fired, Zonta actually did very well at both Belgium and China, uh, considering what that team was as far as pace that year. They weren't very good. Um, So, yeah, I mean... This is a case where if I'm Demata and Toyota asks me to go race for their team, absolutely. It's one of the well, most well-funded teams on the grid. Uh, everything should have pointed to them succeeding, and it just never did. And I think that's down to management. I don't think it was a driver issue at all. Uh, they had so many different combinations of drivers over the years, and some worked and some were a little slower. But at the end of the day, I think it was just a horribly mismanaged team. So... It's another one of those situations where had Demata gone into this team and they had known what they were doing, I think it would obviously worked a lot better. It just unfortunately never panned out. And if he did get fired for speaking out, you know, it's not like he was going places with them after a year and a half. It didn't look like it was going to pan out. So that's another tough one. And then obviously he came back to America and had that tragic accident in Road America. So it was, yeah, it kind of went downhill once he went to Toyota and it's kind of a, one of those unfortunate stories for sure. I always wonder how his career would have played out differently if he stayed in IndyCar because he was you know, so good. Yeah, he had that rough accident. All right, where do we want to go next? We have two more listed here. Our buddy JPM and Jacques Villeneuve, both probably among the more successful to make the IndyCar to F1 Yeah, I think my hot take of the evening is that Juan Pablo Montoya. Okay, I mean, obviously, you know, we got like Aaron Senna, Michael Schumacher. We got like the greats who are amazing to watch and whatnot. But I think out of all the drivers I've ever watched in Formula One, I think Juan Pablo Montoya is probably the most exciting I've ever seen. And 
it was his utter disregard for like the system. Like, you know, you're supposed to be like a nice boy and whatnot in Formula One. And he like just didn't care. Just didn't care. He uh, showed up in a Williams and like immediately was just full sending it on Schumacher, which is just not something you do. Everybody knows you don't mess with Schumacher on the track because he's, you know, the god out there. And Montoya just didn't care, which is how it should be, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, he comes over from cart after a championship and then a, a rough 2000 year with, you know, Ganassi switching up a lot of things behind the scenes. And then, but he did win the Indy 500 in IRL that year. And then goes to Formula One Williams and then later McLaren. And I think ultimately the downfall of Juan Montoya was Juan Montoya. Uh, I mean, his teams could give him good enough equipment to contend for wins, but not championships. And ultimately, well, I mean, 03, he was actually pretty close to the championship. But um, at the yeah. end of the day, I just I just don't I think he just didn't care at, like towards the end. Like he could just not care less. You know, people work their whole lives to get to Formula One and, you know, they, you know, guys put their lives on the line to try to stay in the sport year in and year out. And it kind of got to the point where he could just care less uh, to the point where he's announcing his NASCAR deal in the middle of the season. And Ron Dennis is like, well, all right, if you're going to do that, then we don't need you anymore. <laughs> so he literally announced his NASCAR deal in the middle of the season. Uh, I think it was the race after and Indianapolis was his last race where he hit Raikkonen that started like a a car accident <laughs> in turn one. So, yeah, I mean, he was a phenomenal driver. He definitely succeeded in Formula One, in my opinion. Maybe he didn't achieve his ultimate goal, but he's still a success story. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching him race. Yeah, I, I think Alex Rossi put it the best a couple months ago on his show with James Hinchcliffe, where he said the man can literally eat like three cheeseburgers and six pounds of greasy French fries get in a car and still whoop your ass because he's just that good at everything he drives. And his worst F1 season points wise was still eighth overall. And that was the year he only did 10 races because he got fired. So he had a sixth overall and then all top five finishes in the points after that with, with Williams and the one year with McLaren before McLaren fired him next year. So hard to call him anything Hard to call his Formula One career anything but successful. Wins, polls, fastest laps, pretty much did it all over there except a championship. Which leads us to Jacques Villeneuve. I'm always fascinated by Jacques Villeneuve, and I have no idea why. Maybe just because like, if there's one other guy in the world that's raced like every car that has an engine in it, it's Villeneuve. And he had a great run in 95. He won... The IndyCar Championship with Team Green. 96, he went to Williams in F1, finished second. 97, Williams, he finished first. And then it was really downhill. I think that's probably when Williams started to get bad because he went from fifth in points to 21st with no points. And then Honda in the mid early 2000s was a disaster scene. I mean, he he timed it perfectly. He's the case study on... If I mean, he he's got a little bit of the, you know, his famous last name that definitely helps in that side with Gilles Villeneuve, who was a legendary Ferrari driver. So, you know, that definitely helps. And he timed it perfectly. You know, it came to Williams and in, in one of their best 
uh, seasons, um, you know, right up there with the Mansell PK season or the Mansell Patrese season. They, they were just a phenomenal team. And he comes over, takes over the seat from David Coulthard, and he does a phenomenal job. Competes with Damon Hill that first year in 96. Doesn't win the championship, but definitely establishes himself as a threat. And, well, for a lot of political reasons, Damon Hill was not in that seat for the next season. And in comes Heinz Harold Frensen, but Villeneuve, you know, trounced him that whole year. He was, I honestly think it's, it's kind of weird. I think he was actually stronger in 96, even though he won the championship in 97. Schumacher had a really good year in 97, but ultimately did not win the championship. And there was a whole, the whole thing in Jerez that was uh, quite controversial. But, and then after that, yeah, Williams 98, there's a lot of regulation changes. There was new tires and that was Mike's right. 97. That was it for Williams. That That's kind of like their peak and they haven't, they've come close a couple times, like the Montoya era. They came close a couple times, uh, 2014 and 15. They were, they were well above average with their, their equipment, but that, yeah, 97 was kind of their last hurrah and it's been all downhill ever since. So he got it right. But then 98, they were just not fast. And then he switched to BAR, which is a new team in 99, 2000, and I believe 01 and 02. And then he yep. took a year off, and then it was Sauber. This is all, oh, this is all he, off memory. He was with uh, BAR. 03, he was with BAR. 04, he was with Renault. Oh, he did Renault with, uh, I think he replaced Truly after he got fired for yeah, yeah. like three races. Yeah. And then it was and Sauber, it was Sauber, and then got... He got fired yeah. from Sauber, I think. So, yeah, I mean, black and white, yes, he won a championship. But if we're taking a step back, like, you know, he had the best equipment for two seasons in a row. So it's kind of like, you know, if you get two seasons, the best equipment. First season, you know, you're learning the ropes and whatnot. But that second season, you should do it. And so he did. So good for him. Do you think if Juan Montoya was in the same exact equipment, he would also have won the championship that year. I think, and I'm just looking at our list here. If you put Bourdais in that car, if you put Montoya in that car, if you put Danny Sullivan in that car, and if you put Michael Andretti in that car, they all win that championship in 97. Um, I would argue that, because I'm uh, another rant, I'm not the biggest Damon Hill fan. Um, I think Bourdais, JPM, and Andretti would have beat Damon Hill in 96. Because I would rate a bunch of these guys ahead of Jacques Villeneuve. I, he was fast, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he is like elite per se. Um, just kind of over the whole course of his career. So, yes, I think JPM for sure would have won a championship in 96 or 97 had the roles been reversed. Um, versus if Villeneuve was with Williams in 2001, do I think he would have won a race? the 25% chance maybe. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's one of those things where I caution people like, yes, Villeneuve did well, but it was when the, you know, peak Williams time and that's right. You know, then they lost Adrian Newey and it kind of all went downhill. So yeah, that one's, that one's tough for sure. And then the rest of his career was kind of just, you know, he was with BAR trying to develop him and then kind of just wrote out his career at Salber before getting fired. So, and then Robert Kubica replaced him and, that was a great success story. And he's and both of them are still well, Kubica again is racing and Villeneuve is still racing. At least what as is of he doing? 
he did the NASCAR Euro Wheeling Series Championship. He did Formula E. He's done NASCAR. He's done the Xfinity Series. He's done like these weird, you know, he did the, I shouldn't say weird, this, the Brazilian Stock Car Series. He's done j- literally every series you can think of. He's at least entered one or two races. Did another Indy 500. Did another Indy 514. Yes. Dollar General. Yes. So, yeah, I guess if we're looking at it, Yes, Villeneuve was quote unquote the most successful, but I think the best, I think what we can conclude here is the best to go from IndyCar to Formula One was Juan Pablo Montoya. I think that's a fair, fair statement there. Cool. Well, we'll wrap it up there, guys. Hope you enjoyed a look at some of the drivers who have crossed series over the years. Obviously, all right, let's, let's end it with one more question. I'm going to put this, put you on the spot. Not worrying about age or money or anything like that. What's one IndyCar driver you would like to see enter F1? And don't worry about what kind of equipment they're going into, nothing like that. Just pure in the F1 series. Yeah, I think there are definitely a couple of guys to pick from. Uh, The first one that really comes to mind would be Joseph Newgarden. Um, Obviously, he's an immensely talented driver. And, you know, he's tried to get the formula. And he also is really good at the whole, you know, politicking when it comes to when his contract is up. Like when he signed with Penske, he was also looking at like NASCAR and Formula One. And he just did like a really good job at it. Uh, He just didn't know what he was going to do, but he was keeping his options open. So I think Newgarden could do well. I think the only other one that really like, you know, pops out at me would be Colton Herta. I think Colton could do. I mean, his road course craft in IndyCar is spectacular. I, I, I'm not. If there's anybody right now who I say like they're going to be in Formula One one day, it's it's Colton Herta, which pains me because obviously he's a great asset for IndyCar, but he's he's really good. And he's I know you said to ignore all the intangibles, but he is super young, so um, yeah. he's definitely got a lot of years ahead of him. So I think he can make it work in Formula One. So. Those would be the two that I would have on my radar for sure. Yeah, agreed. Those are the like clear-cut favorite two. The only thing I have to add to that, since you literally took both of my potential answers, is I would like to see Alex Rossi get another shot at it in better equipment. Obviously, he was... Caterham uh, and Manor. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Manor. Uh, not good equipment. And I wouldn't mind seeing because he's he's been so good so far in in all the Australian series seeing Scott McLaughlin go F1 I think he would be probably be pretty good at he looks like he's good at everything he does so I'm going to throw that one out there is the completely out of left field answer and now we'll wrap it up hope you enjoyed everything guys I hope you enjoy our hopeful episode this week with William Story himself keep your fingers crossed for us that it goes through and we will be back next week, hopefully with some news and stuff to talk about. It's getting a little quiet right now, but everybody have a good week and we'll talk to you soon. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. 
That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.